The Pirates fan base is abuzz over the fact that Kevin Newman and Jacob Stallings both hit for the cycle in the same game last night. Well, how about that? So Jacob Stallings had as many hits in one night as his dad had wins in two ACC seasons as Pitt basketball coach. Meanwhile, WNBA game was forfeited because the Las Vegas team said its travel was too difficult to get to Washington. Yeah, that's ironic because it was the women on the WNBA Vegas team that were recently complaining about their salaries. I'm sorry, but if that's a male pro team, that never happens. You might think that's chauvinistic of me to say, but I'll also tell you it's accurate. In men's leagues, they may have canceled the game because there would be rules in place throughout the CBA to prevent a team from having to play in those conditions, but you'd never see a men's team just forfeit. That being said, the pandering media is all over this, bemoaning the case of the players of the WNBA. even heard a CBS radio commentary that said, Everybody loses. The league, the teams, the players, and the fans. Fans? <laughs> there were going to be fans at that game? I don't think those fans lost out. I consider them winners for not having to sit through it and actually watch. Sean Rodriguez, Pirates utility man, did not get DFA'd once Adani Hechevaria got added to the roster. He got put on the 10-day DL with an ab muscle strain instead. Similarly, I pulled an ab muscle when I read that story. I was laughing so hard at them making up an injury to put him on the disabled list. I'm Tim Benzman for Mark Madden today. Dan Kovacevic on yesterday. He'll be on tomorrow. He joins me today at 5.30. Steeler first-round choice Terrell Edmonds at 4.30. Steelers reporter Jeremy Fowler from ESPN.com at 3.30. We do have lots of Pirates and baseball to get to in the show, but we'll wait until after the Pirates game against the Rockies and the second chapter of the Chris Archer story to get to that. Much like Sean Rod, I'm playing hurt today. I spent part of the morning in the ER at AGH. My left eye started to swell shut last night. No joke. So I went and the doctor told me that I have the beginning of a sty in my left eye. And I'll tell you, it's not easy to drive with one eye closed. I just assume that's what it's like if you're behind the wheel and you're the head of NASCAR or maybe a Cleveland Browns wide receiver. And speaking of the Browns, if you haven't seen Hard Knocks yet, oh my God, it's glorious. It's spectacular. In just one episode, it summed up 20 years of dysfunction, and Todd Haley is at the center of it. In fact, not only is he the center of it, he's the protagonist. He comes off looking like the good guy. I'm going to play some of it for you later, and you are going to be baffled that this is real-life National Football League material. But where I want to start today is with a little football blended with a whole lot of hockey, and particularly Sidney Crosby. And I know there's been much media fawning of Sid turning 31, and I certainly understand why, but along with the deserved bouquets that are being thrown at number 87 on 87 a few days ago, that got me thinking on a little bit more pragmatic terms about where Sid's career may go from here. And I went back through the archives and I dug up some numbers of other hockey legends, forwards specifically, who played deep into their 30s or 40s, and I want to examine where Sid may be pointed in the latter stages of his career. 
And let's face it, that's probably where he is right now. He's, what, 13 years in already? So by definition, unless he's going to have a 27-year career, he's closer to the end than he is the beginning. In fact, were he to even play another 9 or 10 at a high level, I would be wildly impressed. Now, the column I wrote about this is posted at Trib Live on the Breakfast Events page. But if you haven't seen it already, let me give you some numbers here as a point of comparison for Sidney Crosby. Mario Lemieux, in his age 31 season, he won the Art Ross Trophy, 122 points, finished third in the MVP balloting, then retired after the Penguins were bounced by Philadelphia in the playoffs. When he came back at 35, he managed 76 points in just 43 games. He also had 91 points in 67 games in 2003. He had 127 of his 690 goals between the ages of 31 and 40. Wayne Gretzky played until he was 38. So over his last eight years, Gretzky led the NHL in assists four times and points once. He had 130 in that Art Ross season of 1994 with the Kings, but he was also a minus 25 in that year, a career low. Gretzky had 40 goals or more every season of his career between the ages of 19 and 30. He never topped that number again. Steve Eiserman, who's Sid's favorite player. He broke the 30-goal plateau one time after turning 31, and he was 34 when he did that in 99-2000. However, he won three Stanley Cups in his 30s to go along with a Conn Smythe and a Selkie. Eisenman had exactly 500 points between his age 31 season of 1996-97 and when he retired at age 40. And of course, there's Yager. 14 more seasons after he turned 31. But his last two true Yager-esque campaigns came right after the lockout when he was 33 and 34 years old. In those seasons of 06 and 07, he never missed a game. He had 84 goals and 219 points. From there, he bounced around Europe in the NHL, and he went over 70 points just once and 25 goals just once in separate seasons. Temu Solani. Now, there's a guy who some say got better as he got older. 35 and 36 years of age, he went over 40 goals, 90 points in both of those years. In 2007, he led the league in power play goals, game-winning goals. He also won a Stanley Cup that year with the Ducks and finished in the top 10 for the Hart Trophy. Then, of course, there's legendary old man Gordie Howe, played into his 50s with the Whalers. At 40, he had a career-best 103 points. Crosby, by comparison, at 89 this past year, but no cups after 27 for Gory Howe. And then lastly, Mark Messier. He was in his first season as a Ranger when he was 31. and route to the Hart Trophy, he got 107 points that year, 91 the next, and won the Stanley Cup in 1994. After leaving Edmonton, Messier had 302 goals between two stints with the Rangers and Vancouver, and he retired at 43. Now, I ran a web poll before the show today, asking if either Sid or Ben Roethlisberger would win another title before they retire here in Pittsburgh. Let me rephrase that. If they win another title in Pittsburgh before they retire, because that's a big part of this question. And at this point, I just checked the poll before we came on the air. 58% of you said that Crosby would win another cup in Pittsburgh. 32% said they would both win championships in Pittsburgh before they retired. So that's a 90% rate saying Crosby has at least one more title left in him. If you combine those two, either they both win it or just Crosby win it. Nine out of ten Pittsburghers agree, kids, 
that Sidney Crosby has another Stanley Cup left in him. Now, I tend to agree, but am I 90% sure? I don't know about that. No, not to that degree, I'm not. And here's a few reasons why. Number one, who knows how long he wants to play? Of all those guys we just outlined, Mario's health problems were the most similar to his. He had major back problems. Sid has the concussion history. I know he's a hockey junkie, but he may not want to keep kicking at the can until 36 like Tay Mussolini or 36 like Steve Eisenman. His health may not allow it. Also, I, I just there's an odds question involved here. How Messier, Gretzky, those guys are known as ultimate winners for reasons that are obvious. No matter how good you are, no matter how good the team around you is, it's hard for lightning to strike four times for you. Like I said, Yager, Solani, Mario, these guys were unreal players on great teams in a lot of cases, and they didn't get three, let alone a fourth. How played for over a decade after getting his fourth and didn't get a fifth. It's not easy, regardless of circumstances, despite the fact that Sidney Crosby has some great circumstances around himself. So I'll ask the question again. How sure are you that either Sidney Crosby or Ben Roethlisberger will win another championship in Pittsburgh? And that's a key part of the question here in Pittsburgh. 412-333-9939. Gretzky, Yager, Messier. These guys went elsewhere to try to do it. If Sig gets a fourth, there's no law that says it has to be here. It probably will be. Same thing with Big Ben. But look at Favre. Look at Peyton Manning. So 90% of you, you can't get Pittsburghers to agree on a sports talking point to a 90% clip if you say, hey, who was better, Terry Bradshaw or Bubby Brister? I mean, 90% of you think that Sidney Crosby is going to get another cup before he leaves Pittsburgh. Now, if I were to vote, would I vote that way? Yes. Am I 90% sure of my own vote? Heck no. You know, maybe like 50-50. I think it's a toss-up. Mainly because I don't know if the Penguins have another successful retooling around Crosby and Malkin. That's amazing that they built a team around them, then rebuilt the team around them. It really is phenomenal to do that and have both additions win cups. That didn't happen with Yager and Lemieux. Try as hard as they did. It didn't work. If they can't get a fourth cup for Crosby and Malkin with this current supporting cast around them, is Malkin going to be part of that supporting cast as they push forward with Sid? Does he have to be on another rebuild to make it happen for Crosby? That's another great layer to this discussion. Could Sid someday down the line win one without Gino? We never saw Yager or Lemieux do it without each other. Could Sid do it without Gino, Gino or the other way around? But even if 87 and 71 stay together until the end, can they find another incarnation of Chris Letang, who was another incarnation of Sergei Gonchar? Could they find another incarnation of Matt Murray, who was another incarnation of Marc-Andre Fleury? Could they find another incarnation of Matt Cullen, who was another incarnation of Bill Guerin? Or Nick Benino, who was a recreation of Jordan Stahl? You get the point. It's hard. So while we are almost universally in agreement that Sidney Crosby is going to win another Stanley Cup as a Pittsburgh Penguin, if that's what we're saying here, how does it happen? Is Sid still a Conn Smythe winner, a Hart Trophy winner, an Art Ross winner? Or is he sort of like a third-line leadership 
center, kind of a grinder, kind of a figurehead at that point. What do you think? We'll tackle the Ben Roethlisberger angle to this discussion. We would come back, but I want to hear from Penguins fans on this first and foremost. 412-333-9939. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. You're home for the Pens. 105.9 The X. The super genius, Mark Madden. That's correct. It's organized chaos. Super genius. I just diddled my lips on live radio for 30 seconds, and you all listen. VX at 105.9. I want all of you to do yourselves a favor and Google the name Amanda Ekblad. You do it first. We'll talk about her later. Tim Benzin for Mark Madden. Coming up before the top of the hour, Jeremy Fowler covers the Steelers for ESPN.com and the fantastic audio of Todd Haley and the Cleveland Browns in episode one of Hard Knocks. I, it, it, I was aroused listening to this. It's just so Browns. It's fantastic. We'll get to that before we hit four, but if you're just tuning in, open up the show talking about Ben Roethlisberger and Sidney Crosby. A 90% response rate so far to a web poll that I put out there. Penguins fans thinking that Sid will win another Stanley Cup before he leaves Pittsburgh. And... Of that group, 32% of you say Roethlisberger will get one too. That's awfully optimistic, and I do think that Sid will get one more. And I collect it myself individually. I would vote with that collective to be with you. But I don't know if I'm 90% sure. I think it's a little bit more of a roll of the dice than that, and I just gave you a bunch of reasons and a bunch of great players who didn't get for four for various reasons, even though they played deep, deep into their 30s and sometimes beyond. What do you think? 412-333-9939. Let's go to Mark, who's calling from Harrisburg. Mark, go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Sam, how you doing? Good, Mark. Call me crazy, but I'm about 95% sure that Sid's going to win another Stanley Cup within the next three years. If it's what not, if it's outside of that window... I'd say it's probably about a 60% chance that he'll win another cup. As far as Ben winning another Super Bowl, as long as Tomlin's coaching the Steelers, it ain't going to happen. Well, I got a tweet that came in that said the Penguins will do it and the Steelers won't because the Penguins are concerned about winning and the Steelers are concerned about being lit. Although I will say this, at times I do think the Penguins are rather lit. I'll give them that. All right, so why are you as certain as you are about Crosby getting one more to get four, which is a massive accomplishment? I mean, don't don't you just see the odds being against him in that context overall? I do see them being against him in that context, but the players that you named off, they played in a completely different era. You didn't have the uh, health personnel that you do now. And but once you say, hold on for a second, before you, before you go any further, once you say, though, the era that those guys played in, wasn't it easier then to keep a team together because there was no presence of a salary cap? Yes, but it was a lot more physical. You didn't have the protection that you have now as far as medical technology goes. So you're saying that because the medical technology exists, then these guys will play longer? Is that your, is that your premise? Yes. Because, but even though that was the case, those guys all played in their 40s, though. I mean, that's, that's not really pertinent since those guys all did play that deep into their careers. They played anyway, regardless of the technology. And I would suggest even the technology might spook Sid into retiring more quickly because he might be concerned about the state of his concussions moving forward. Like, Gordy Howe didn't care about his concussions. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he didn't know the severity of his concussions either, and... 
Well, that's my point. Uh, Sid does. He might retire more quickly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, but he just has that drive. Like he he never stops playing hockey. Like even during the summer break, he's still doing something hockey related. Well, neither did Yager. I mean, Yager had a drive, and he never stopped playing hockey either. And he never got one after the age of what did I say? But he didn't get one after he was twenty something, like after his second year in the league. So, I mean, I hear you. I, I think he's going to as well, but. You know, a part of the reason why, and thank you for the call, Mark, part of the reason why I'm a little bit more leery of making it sound like it's an assured thing is counter to what you're suggesting when it comes to his health insofar as we know so much more the reasons now why playing professional athletics that deep in your career is risky. Also, he's made so much more money than those guys ever did already on top of what he's going to make for another contract or two. He might not need to or want to. He could buy half of Nova Scotia as it is right now. 412-333-9939. I think you're more on point with what you say about Roethlisberger. I, and I wrote this before, and, and I was going to get into this a little bit more in depth, but we got to get to Jeremy Fowler from ESPN.com coming up here. Uh, I'll get into it more as the show goes along. The angle with Ben is, uh, I, I think it's this year a bust for Roethlisberger. Now, I think that the defense is still a significant time away from being rebuilt. I think you minus... Le'Veon Bell away from that team. The offensive line is another year older. A.B. is another year older. This, as I've written before in the trip at Breakfast with Ben's, this is his last best chance to get another Super Bowl. We'll talk about that with Jeremy Fowler next. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. I'm one of a kind on the radio. Thank you for being the best damn radio host in Pittsburgh. It's a family affair. The X at 105.9. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on 105.9. The X tomorrow. Make sure you're listening to WDVE in advance of Steelers and Eagles. I'll be on the pregame shows. Get ready for preseason game number one. Joining me right now to talk about that, the Steelers at large, the NFL in general. It's Jeremy Fowler from ESPN.com. He covers the Steelers for ESPN. Jeremy, we'll get into the Steelers specifically in just a moment, but uh, when we're finished speaking, I'm going to play some of the clips from Hard Knocks featuring the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I'm aware that you didn't see the episode in its entirety, but have you heard about how much of a dink Hugh Jackson looks like in this whole thing? <laughs> I like that word, dink. I hadn't heard that in forever. Uh, I, I did read all about it. I saw some of the comments uh, from Todd Haley, which, I mean, as we know, intense, fiery competitor. So that doesn't surprise me that would be his approach in that coaching room. Jeremy, the Browns are so dysfunctional, Todd Haley comes off looking like the protagonist in Hard Knocks. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. When you're 0-16, anything that has to do with competition and getting on the practice field is a positive step, right? Like, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt when you're resting stars after zero wins. Mike Tomlin, you know, the, the top coach is Bill Belichick. They can get away with that. You can't get away with that in Cleveland right now. Well, Jeremy, I'm glad some people are watching Hard Knocks because certainly no one watched the first Hall of Fame game, the first preseason game. Just 6.78 million viewers, down 17.8%. It's the single smallest broadcast nationally since the Bucks and Steelers in 1998 uh, for the Hall of Fame game. Is this trickle down from the anthem, just more carryover from cord cutting? What do you think the biggest problem is right now and why people are even less interested in the preseason than what they normally are? 
Well, the matchup probably didn't help. I mean, uh, you know, Ravens-Bears is not the sexiest matchup, and especially when Mitch Trubisky was not playing. Uh, you would have thought Lamar Jackson would have drawn maybe a little more of a crowd, but right. maybe Robert Robert Griffin III, but the names just didn't resonate at this point. And, you know, it's early. It's early August. But you mentioned the court cutting. That's always going to be a factor. Um, every day I'm surprised by more and more, you know, middle-aged adults are sort of just dealing with with the same thing that everyone else is. Is just, you know, do I stick? what I got or, or do I go streaming you know so I think that that's something people wrestle with do you think people care about the league as much as they used to or do they just care about their hometown team it, well it, it depends on how much you play fantasy right I think that's a huge part of it, it probably depends on how much you gamble as to how much you, you care about the that league helps. As a whole. you know th- those two are huge so you know I think that a lot of people involved are hoping that the new gambling revised rules are, are, are going to, to bolster some things, uh, especially on Sundays and Sunday nights. But, you know, it's so early, so I, I'm not going to read too much into it yet. It wasn't a great matchup. Um, but the trend the last two years is not positive, so that continues and you have a major problem. Jeremy Fowler with us from ESPN.com, of course, covers the Steelers for ESPN. Jeremy, when they play the Eagles tomorrow, one thing I want to see is how the defense is starting to look. But, they're not going to be tested very much, are they? Uh, last check, it doesn't seem like Wentz or Foles will play for the Eagles. Is that what you're hearing, too? Yeah, it looks that way. I mean, they're going to play it safe. You know, it could be Sudfeld in there. Um, you know, you'll probably see a lot of running the ball, you know, which the Steelers need. I mean, as the way Jacksonville game ended, I mean, they need their run defense stout. T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, guys like that aren't going to play, so it's a good opportunity for, you know, a guy like, Keon Adams comes to mind, seventh-round pick last year that was out all last year with, it, with a shoulder injury, um, but they like his skills. You know, you're going to see a lot of linebackers that, that need to make an impression early. Do you think that Morgan Burnett and some of the other guys who have not been able to participate in Latrobe are going to be able to play? I was a little bit uh, dicey listening to Mike Tomlin as to how much of a read we're really going to be able to see from some of the Steelers' defenders, given that so many of them have missed time due to injury and practices. Yeah, I think Morgan and Sean Davis, those are two that come to mind that, that missed a good week, but they've been in there for the last three or four days. So they probably, uh, in my estimation, have a good chance to play. Um, if they don't, then that's just Tomlin being extra cautious with the first week, knowing that he's got weeks two and three to preseason to play everyone, including Roethlisberger at some point. And so um, he does this time of year typically, you know, he, he tries tries to be more cautious than than, uh, than not. So, you know, Marquise Pouncey, guys like that, you could see them possibly sitting out as well because that's been really the trend the last couple of years. Boy, I really don't see the need for these four preseason games. In fact, I never did. But given how most coaches are treating them now, it's literally two games and then the first and fourth are simply to figure out who you're going to cut fast and who you're going to cut last. Um, how close are we, do you think, Jeremy, to seeing the end of a four-game preseason? Is that ditched after the next CBA? Well, I think the conversation might go back to where it was seven years ago, right, where you say, hey, we'll dump some preseason games, but give us 18 regular season games. I don't want that either. Well, I, I don't think many people do, and, and that would be overkill, I think, in the eyes of many, but that was sort, that was the starting point in 2010. Didn't, uh, didn't go that way, but then you had the four preseason games intact, and so... Um, I mean, look, the teams and the coaches still love it because you got guys 54 through 90 that they're trying to sift through. And you got guys like Mason Rudolph and Josh Dobbs. Who are you going to keep? You, you know, you got several positions that you need to figure out. Um, and, and really, you know, for better or worse, you know, we can talk about 
the preseason, how you know how boring it is at times. But you know, I think what makes the NFL great in some spots is how some teams are made up of like forty percent undrafted players. You have these great stories out there of guys uh, that can actually play, and you just don't know it yet. Jeremy, are you like me in the sense that you feel that the Steelers are trying extra hard to quell the hype around James Washington? And if you are, tell me why, because I don't know why. He doesn't strike me as the kind of kid that gets too much too fast. What do you think? Well, it it depends on where that quelling is coming from. I'm trying to think. I mean, I know Tomlin might have been asked about him once or twice, but I haven't heard uh, a lot of questions about what well, Roethlisberger, for instance, I know on DVE, was really dismissive of Washington insofar as he was asked about throwing him. He was like, well, I've only thrown, I haven't thrown a single pass to him. And he talked about all the other guys in the depth chart that he has to climb past to get playing time. Right, right. And, and Ben can talk to me about Darius Hayward Bay and Eli Rogers, who isn't even physically healthy enough yet, all he wants. Right. But come on, James right. Washington is no worse than the third best receiver on this team, and he hasn't even played it down yet as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, he came on hot last week, I thought, and, and he and Roethlisberger connected on two corner end zone plays, one in the two-minute drill. So um, he's making an impression. But I will say Roethlisberger, I remember last year with Juju, it was early, you know, it was April or May, but he was being asked about him. And he said, look, I haven't even seen the guy yet. And so, you know, that might be um, just one of the situations where a guy has to earn trust over time because once the season started, he was praising Juju for his playmaking and his toughness. And so... Yeah, I think that will come. I mean, that that might be an effort to quell expectations a little bit. And but you know, he's still, you know, he's come a long way. But he's still an unrefined receiver in some ways. You know, he's coming from a Big Twelve offense. You know, you watch him run routes, and you know, you can tell the gifts are, are, are there. Um, especially as a long strider, you know, he gets downfield quicker than you think. But um, you know, his routes need some work, and, and I think the Steelers know that, and, and that will come. Jeremy Fowler from ESPN and ESPN.com. Steelers on DVE tomorrow will be on the pregame show at 3. They're going up against the Eagles preseason game number 1. Rudolph, where is he so far, Jeremy? And what do you think of Terrell Edmonds, who we're going to hear from later on in the program? Yeah, so Rudolph, to me, ball security was was a major issue early on. I don't think that was unexpected. Um, But when you have a guy coming out of the draft who, who was fighting the knock of having small hands, it doesn't help when you're losing the ball behind your head or losing the ball under center. Uh, for, I asked around. The Steelers weren't overly concerned about that and really wasn't a talking point in, in meetings and really was just about his overall improvement, and they have seen that. I mean, la- last week, uh, five of six in the uh, in a two-minute drill with a touchdown to Jalen Samuels looked poised. But Mike Tomlin pointed out yesterday he has not been hit yet, so let's see what he can do when guys are trying to get after him in a game. And so, you know, so far so good for the most part. A few hiccups overall. I mean, Edmonds really – that pick is looking stronger by the week. I mean, it's early on. You know, you don't overhype him, but but you see the gifts. I mean, he's just a big, rangy, fast kid, um, and, you know, he, he gets in passing lanes. You've seen it several times over the last two weeks. Jeremy, give me one player that we're going to be talking about positively come Friday morning, maybe a surprise. Give me one player that Steelers fans will be worried about. One player that's when you say worried about, like somebody that somebody's going to disappoint, lose. somebody who Steelers fans are excited about, and maybe will have a bad game to start. That's behind the curve. Uh, I got you. Uh, let's see. So we got. Um, I mean, look, I wouldn't be overly surprised if Rudolph doesn't play great because it's you know first game in live action in a pocket that's going to be collapsing on him, and you'll probably be playing with second or third stringers at that point, so there'll be some extra pressure. So I think a lot of times a rookie quarterback first game out can struggle maybe that maybe more than he will uh in in the coming games 
That's a good question. I'm trying to think. I'm Are you on the Quadri Henderson bandwagon by any chance? I mean, you know, he's he's got one skill, right, and it's, it's to return. And uh, you know, I, I, he's he's been great at it in college, obviously, and he's looked pretty good doing it. Um, haven't seen him muffing a lot of punts or, or kicks, so we'll, we'll see what he can do in live action. You know, I think a lot of people are wondering how the kickoff rules are going to impact him and just that aspect of the game in general. Have you gotten a feel there yet watching what's going on in training camp? Well, you've seen them adjust slightly when, when, when they run their drills and, and, and how they organize the alignment. Uh, but it, it's going to, you know, it, that's another thing. We, we don't see, you only see them go to the ball and then they stop and tr- sort of simulate a tackle. Uh, but you don't see the actual play develop. And so that's what we need to see Thursday night. And, and I know Danny Smith, the special teams coach, has been tinkering with it for a while now, and, and he's eager to just see what happens in the game because I don't think anybody knows until it's officiated in real time. Damon Patterson is going to be one of these guys, I think, that everybody's going to be saying after the fourth preseason game, you can't cut him! You can't cut him! He's going to go to the Browns and tear <laughs> us up! How about him? So, you know, he, he's yeah, he, he first the first week or so he looked strong. Um, he's just, he's very slight. And, and he's, what I, what I mean by that is not only is he not tall, he's just, he's a skinny guy. So, um, I, I don't know about the physicality. That's what I need to see over the next couple of weeks is what he can do in those kind of game situations. But, uh, I, I don't know by the fourth week if everybody's going to be clamoring for him more so than, say, Tevin Jones, number 14, uh, as, as look, you know, maybe looks a little more of the part of an NFL player right now, uh, as far as the, the physical standpoint. And maybe, he, you know, I think both guys are practice squad candidates i don't necessarily think they're going to crack the lineup over over say a marcus tucker when's the basketball game scheduled for before we go here you tell me man we were we got like four days of camp left so we got to organize something this weekend it's good saturday night we'll get we'll get starkey we'll get uh you know dale anybody involved oh i'm gonna foul starkey hard there's no doubt about that there's gonna be some (laughs) trib on post gazette crime there no doubt about it i like it we'll give you the ball thanks jeremy talk to you soon enjoy the game all right Anytime, guys. Thanks. All right, that's Jeremy Fowler from ESPN.com, who just lied right there because there's no possible way to enjoy the first preseason game of any NFL campaign. It just doesn't happen. What I did enjoy was hard knocks. And if you haven't heard or seen the clips, heard the audio of the dysfunction that exists and is personified 20 years of disaster crystallized for you as to how it happens and how it's continuing next when we come back on 105.9 The X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Double M, what's up, brother? Hey, Double M. Oh, I love Sally Wiggum, but not as much as soccer. That's the best thing I've almost ever heard. VX at 105.9. Just a few minutes before the top of the hour, brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. Um, if you're keeping up on hard knocks, you're laughing your ass off because it's just the Browns being the Browns in every way possible that the Browns could be. If you want to know why the Browns are where they are and why they have been where they have been, which is pretty much nowhere since they came back in the league, it's all been summed up in the first episode of Hard Knocks. It's so crazy, Todd Haley actually comes off looking real good. Now, the premise or a lot of the story arc of the first Hard Knocks was about how Browns players are jaking it, how they're not practicing hard, how they're taking days off. A lot of the Browns players are getting little nicks and little dings, and they're using that as an excuse to not practice. And Jarvis Landry, recently acquired by Cleveland, formerly of the Miami Dolphins, always known for being a raw, raw red ass, 
pretty much the only way to describe him, tore into his Browns wide receiving teammates in the meeting room and Hard Knocks captured it. This is as much as you could possibly listen to before we reach our mandatory bleep count. If you're not hurt, like if your hamstring ain't falling off the bone, your leg ain't broke, I don't know, like you should be practicing. Like straight up. Like that is weakness and that is contagious as Ain't gonna be in this room, bro. That been here in the past, and that's why the past has been like it is, bro. That is over with here, bro. If you can practice, practice. You can't get no better. Ain't nobody gonna get better by being on the sideline if you ain't hurt. Okay, if you were counting, and I know you were, that was 12 beeps in 32 seconds. I believe it was 34 beeps in 90 seconds for the whole thing, and we counted approximately 47 bras over the course of the 90-second soundbite. Now, Jarvis Landry is being hailed as a hero in Cleveland for this. He is the ultimate... He's like what Joe Musgrove was around here when he had the balls to slide in hard to second into second base and start that little skirmish. That's what Jarvis Landry is now on Twitter. He's like Cleveland Twitter hero. He's lit! If you go, Actually, NFL.com has the lit fire emoji for Jarvis Landry because he's yelling at everybody. So, he's one hero. Now... At the opposite end of the spectrum, though, is Hugh Jackson, who's the head coach of the Browns and is letting all of this happen, much to the dismay of Todd Haley. This scene began with the training staff of the Browns giving a rundown as to who was going to participate and who wasn't due to injury, and the list of those not participating due to injury was just about as long as the list of those who were actually going to be able to play. And the coaches in the room, all but Hugh anyway, were starting to get ticked off at the amount of guys who weren't going to practice. So this is where Todd Haley chimes in. I just, I, I have an opinion on it, and and we're we need to get so much done, you know. And and I know I said that to you, and we joke about it. But if we live in our fears, I mean, our team has to get mentally tougher and be able to fight through the that we got to fight through. We got to change this drastically, and if we got guys that haven't done sitting around doing nothing, you know, it, I just don't know how we're going to do it. Well, I respect you saying that. I mean, I used to sit in the same I mean, chair. Joe, let I'm me finish. Whoa, whoa, let me finish. I used to sit in the same chair as you guys sat in, and I used to feel the same way. I just want to kill them, okay? Until all of a sudden, I sat in this chair, and then they're not there, and you don't get them to practice. And you can't get them through, and then you don't have them for three weeks. And I'm not living in my fears. That's real. And I think we all can appreciate that. Anything else? Speak now, baby. Get it out. <clears throat> Guys, listen. I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm going to say it again. But the chair I sit in, a little different than the chair you guys sit in. I get to watch from a different lens. Okay, and I think you guys can all respect that. At the end of the day, I get to drive this bus. And I'm going to get it the way I want it. That's period. That's just how it works. Okay? Al, used to, Al taught me a long time ago. You know, what, what is it, Al? Give it to me. It's your team. You do whatever the hell you want. You, it's your team. You do whatever the hell you want. Okay? So this one's mine. So that's just the way it's going to be. If you're driving the bus, what cliff are you driving it off of, Hugh? How? First of all, the, the fact that Todd Haley, the first time we see him in a Cleveland Browns piece of paraphernalia he busts out the mike tomlin don't live in your fears that just had me rolling first and foremost secondly the fact that he comes off looking like the guy who's got it together haley 
after the way he was viewed here for so long, just makes you appreciate how messed up things are in Cleveland. Because he was like, oh, hey, practice. (laughs) We don't need practice. We need these bad football players healthy to play badly for us on Sundays. And Haley, by the way, it wasn't just Haley. Every other coach in that room was aghast. Every like hand, like face palming it, hats coming off, eyes rolling, head shaking. They're all just befuddled that Hugh is saying things like, "It's my bus and I'm going to drive it." Yeah, that's the guy you really want driving your bus, Hugh Jackson. And the l- biggest tinge of irony to all of that is. For as messed up as you might think Todd Haley is, he got the Chiefs to the playoffs. In his worst year in Kansas City, that got him fired, he won four more games than Hugh Jackson did last year. He won three more games in that year than Hugh did in the last two years combined. And he's telling Todd Haley, you don't know the chair I'm sitting in? Don't you know you just hired him as your offensive coordinator? He used to be a head coach. You don't know that? You're not aware of that? Every year we hear the same old song and dance coming out from Cleveland. Every year they're going to be better. Every year they got talent. Every year they're putting it together. This crop of drafts, draft class guys, they're going to be better and they're going to turn it around. No, they are not. They will always be the Browns, especially so long as that guy is in charge. Back in 30 seconds. Tim Benson for Mark Madden.